0: Welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in discipleship, we grow in relationships, and we grow in Jesus Christ. This series is The Blood Covenant. Here we'll be studying Luke 22, 23, and 24, seeing everything from the Passover to the institution of the Lord's Supper, the cross of Christ, and the coming of the Holy Spirit being promised. And so we hope that you join in with us, that you subscribe so you don't miss a single Sunday. Paul said that I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so... We're continuing, we're not jumping straight to his resurrection, and I hope that that doesn't offend anyone, but I want you to view it this way, that over the past several weeks and several weeks that lie ahead, we're looking at all these events of Jesus Christ's life, death, resurrection, and even his coming again. This is what we're here to do, and so we're gonna continue in our study Uh, looking at this blood covenant in Luke chapter 22. So it's not a typical Easter sermon, but it most certainly has everything to do with all that Christ accomplished. So this this morning, I'm going to ask that you just turn to Luke 22 again, and we're going to be looking at at verses 54 through 62, So this has typically been something that is referred to as Peter's denial. Um, He gets a lot of focus and a lot of flack. And yet I'm confident there's much more about this because this passage that we're going to read is not about Peter, it's about Jesus. Jesus. And so that's why it's entitled, if you do choose to follow along on the outline on the back of the bulletin, it is The Look of Christ. The Look of Christ. And so I invite you to stand as we just honor the reading of God's Word, again in Luke 22, beginning in verse 54. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house and Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him. And she said, this man was also with him and he denied him saying, Woman, I know him not. After a little while longer, another saw him and said, Thou art also of him. And Peter said, Man, I'm not. And about the space of one hour after another, confidently affirmed, saying of a truth, This fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Father, we come to you this morning. And we still are as every Sunday, we reflect upon your resurrection. This tedious and intricate work that had to be accomplished for our atonement and our salvation. God, I pray that you satisfy us With this gospel. Father, that your people wouldn't be content with a brief devotion, but Lord, that we would spend our lives in study of this good news. And God, that you would reveal yourself to us and that you would reveal your gospel to us in this message, even as we have been building up and escalating to the point of the cross and even the resurrection. And Father, we know this is not a, Lord, this is not a small thing, but it is an event that we live our lives in light of. And Lord, we look forward to the day that you come again when each of us are granted that resurrected body after our Lord and Savior. In the name of Christ, we pray, amen. Yeah, Please don't, don't think that I am diminishing the gospel, the resurrection. I just want to remind us again, if Paul can preach only Christ in right majority of the New Testament, we can certainly enter into a study and glorify God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ this Sunday. Amen. Though we're not giving you a sermon or a, or a passage that everyone here is well acquainted with, so we should feel good about this study looking at this work of Christ even now and yet we can't help but handle this denial of Peter or denial of Christ by Peter. And so we want to look at that briefly and I just want us to see as we, as we dive into this We remember all that's that's gone on. We're seeing prophecy fulfilled before our eyes, or at least the apostles are, in the day that they're watching these events unfold. As a matter of fact, even this denial of, of Christ is prophetic. We remember, and we even read here this morning, the way Jesus prophesied. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But before we even get there, we read... Jesus is arrested. He's taken into the home of the high priest. And Peter followed afar off. I want to propose to you this morning that following Christ at a distance equals denying Christ. So I've got some fill in the blanks there in the bulletin. If you're a note taker, you can utilize those. Following at a distance equals denying Christ. we just look at peter's denial really we see it's has so much more to do with just his words in the same way that that we don't are not able to give a simple lip service to god it's our actions that matter it's it counts here even in denial you may never deny christ with your mouth but the world can look at you and see that you've already denied Him. And as is sometimes helpful, and we've done in here, is whenever we're reading in the Gospels, we can look to the other Gospels, to some of the apostles that gave a similar account. For this one, I think we get a little bit of detail when we look at the nature of Peter's denial if we look to John chapter 18. Now John's an interesting writer because he often writes uh, the beloved apostle or and an, another apostle uh, and he's he's real vague and and most people take to mean that that apostle with no name in his gospel is John himself uh, <clears throat> the one who seems to acknowledge Christ's special love for him and we see that whenever we look at this account of Peter's denial and I just want to take some of these passages into account here in John 18. And we see the nature of what it is Peter is, the way Peter's interacting. And looking at verse 15, John writes, and Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest, this unknown disciple John. John was known to the high priest and he went in with Jesus into uh, the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without then went out that other disciple John goes out the one that was known to the high priest and he spake to her that kept the door and he brought Peter in so we've got John who goes in he follows he's going with Christ into the, the palace of the high priest and, and yet Peter's following John does him the favor of going to the door and, and calling this, this girl who's keeping the door the servant girl to call him in That was the girl that Peter denied Christ to. Then saith the damsel that kept the door, the one John spoke to unto Peter, art thou not also one of this man's disciples? And he said, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there and made a fire of coals for it was cold and they warmed themselves and Peter stood with them and he warmed himself. We're picking up, jump to verse 25. And Simon Peter stood and he warmed himself. They said therefore unto him, art not now, also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I'm not. That's twice. And then again, listen to this. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, who, let me see, I lost my place here. Being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, deny. Did not I see thee in the garden with him? And Peter denied him again, and immediately the cock crew. So we've got the, the girl at the door that John has in, invite Peter in, and he denies Christ when it doesn't seem to matter. He denies Christ again among the other servants, people that's there in the vicinity. And then he denies Christ before the man whose ear he literally cut off moments before. Awkward, right? And yet we see the nature of his denial in all of these. Peter refuses by the passerby. He doesn't acknowledge Christ. Um, when he enters into trial to people who don't matter and then he does to the man who looked him in the eye whenever he lopped his ear off and christ healed it surely he knows his face Now we know perhaps it was dark things like that it's a pitiful excuse for peter to deny it to this man And again, we see Peter's refusal is to align himself, to attach himself to Christ. Imagine the teaching opportunities that he missed. Yes, I am that man. Let me see your ear. Let me see the ear that this Christ has healed, the man that you are putting on trial to kill, the man of whom you'll become his murderer, as a matter of fact, that's a lot like the preaching that he gives in Acts. That's exactly what Peter goes on to say whenever he has the help of the Holy Spirit. He gives that same sermon, the man you killed. This is the sermon Stephen gives. This is the message. And the boldness with which we proclaim the Gospel and here Peter does not do it. He denies Christ on all Three accounts and we see it is far more than saving his own skin. There's an issue here with Peter's theology. Is Christ really who he said he was? Is he going to be raised on the third day? Is He the Son of God? Does he really, is he really have those legions of angels at His disposal if He wanted them? Like we said before, training's over. Jesus' teaching is finished. And so there's an issue with Peter's Theology. There's something of, of this teaching that falls short or that, that Peter perhaps doubts in the sovereignty of Christ. And so I think at, at some level, linked to this, is the inevitable failing of weak doctrine. If you don't understand Christ as He's revealed in His Word, as He teaches Himself to be, you're not going to stand whenever the test does come. You see, the the resurrection day never gets here apart from the cross. So, this is true. Every time, whenever faith is tested, it must rely on doctrine. It must rely on understanding God at His word. It must. This is why it's so helpful to study historical doctrines through church history or whatever. Because every time this is the case, Every time. It doesn't matter if we go early church, not long after this, whenever we we see people being killed for a teaching of the Trinity. We acknowledge Trinity is not a word that's in the Bible. This is the teaching of Christ. We stand for it. So in light of weak doctrine, those presumed believers, they crumble. They fall away. The church has been refined. We've talked about this. It's been refined over the years and we have delved into very intricate doctrines and matured in the faith. It's true again within the Reformation. We see men like Martin Luther who stands his life on the line and says, if I'm not proven wrong by Scripture... Prove me wrong by Scripture. I recant everything if you show me in His Word. If not, I recant nothing. So help me, God. And here we stand today. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles, this being their testimony, Christ being the cornerstone. Here we stand to any priest, potentate, dignitary, any world power. Guys, the same is true in our day. We're seeing a new religion. Everybody asks to see revival in America. Guess what? We're seeing revival. And it's in a false religion called uh, critical race theory. And the reason I know this is true is because, man, it it is in the public square. It's in politics. If you want to be successful, have a a successful marketing strategy, you better be on board. If you don't want to be run, run out of political office and you want an adequate number of voters, you better jump on board. And if you want a church packed to the hilt and not conflicted with cancel culture, you better jump on board with critical race theory. It's all over. This is a new religion. And it will crumble like the rest. Because we're founded, it's not founded on this word of God. Any other thing becomes a servant of the state or a servant of self worship or a servant of any other thing, but it's not a servant of Jesus Christ. It is only standing firm on this word that we look death in the face. We look sickness in the face. We look heresy in the face or persecutors in the face. We look every other thing. We look struggling people in the face. We see the way that our look becomes a lot like this look of Christ we're fixing to talk about. See, we have all different sorts of examples of nominal Christianity. People who are indeed followers of Christ, they indeed know the truth, they indeed want to come, they want to see what happens next, they want to be in in earshot, they want to keep the associations of the church, and yet they want to do so from far off. They want to stand outside the door Let's ride it out and see what happens first. And so that's a question for us today, I think. Is are we following Christ at a distance? And I'm just going to guess. I think there's people here. I'm not going to guess. I'll just admit to you. I'm convinced there's people here that are. And that's why we really need to listen up for this next part of the message. This is why we don't need to jump from this passage and go to something that's popular today. We need to to get this in this passage this morning. And perhaps if you are following Christ at a distance, it's a dangerous point because remember where Peter stands, denying Christ and and, and having left his presence and, and leaving from this, This is not a point of salvation. It's not a place from which people or Peter himself is saved. For that, we've got to read on. Peter denies Christ. And at the moment, at the moment he denies him, that third time when the prophecy is fulfilled. An important prophecy because this doesn't even affect anything to do with Christ going to the cross. This is something we need to learn from, a lesson that's being taught Peter and the church. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. The Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Get this in your mind. We've got all these events. We have people that have come out. They've been up late. They've been in prayer. He sweated wet drops of blood, tinged with blood from his severe anxiety. He's had a band of people come out with swords and staves to take him into custody violently if they must. He's been ridiculed already. He's under constant questioning and and soon he would be even uh, cast into the hall, separated and blindfolded and beaten and mocked. There's all of this commotion taking place in and outside. People picking out and pointing fingers, finding who it was that was his followers, knowing there was a group in the garden and there's none with Christ now. Now, And Christ looks. Hadn't he got enough on his plate? Yet Christ at this moment looks at Peter. Knows exactly where he's at in the crowd. Knows exactly how far away he stands. And he hears the shaking in his voice with that last denial. And Jesus looks. If it's true that there are some of us who follow Christ from a distance, it is also true that Christ looks upon us. And there's a number of ways. This is uh, a number of ways in which we could see this and interpret it and learn from what uh, Christ has done here. How significant of an event this small thing is. And first that is that he sees our sin you don't escape jesus christ and especially if you think you're a christian and you tell yourself the lie that oh i don't have it he doesn't see it it's gone god's blind jesus covered it he's given god amnesia then you don't know scripture my friend and you're standing on something different he sees our sin in, a, in the moment that we do it. You can't go outside the door and, and, and think, well, I'm gone with the rest of them. Jesus won't think a thing. He sees your sin. We see a way in which Jesus expresses a level of omniscience. Now that's a dangerous step for me to take, I realize. There are things that Jesus expresses are only at the will or or, or the knowledge of the Father. And yet we see something that Jesus, His knowledge and His sight seems to pervade all of this moment. To see the sins of His followers. The one for whom He prayed that Satan wouldn't sift. In this moment He sees it. At the lowest point of His ministry. A point at which He had literally denied everything but i can't help but think that peter felt a lot more weight than that when he saw when his eyes met the eyes of his savior that night you see that that look in that look jesus tests our hearts It's more than an I see you. It's more than an observance of Peter. It is a penetrating look. A look that pierced his soul, I think. We read the word as sharp as a two-edged sword. Able to divide soul from spirit bone from marrow. I believe that's the sort of look we got from the incarnate word that evening. One that tests us to our very core. Like whenever we read David who says, Search me, O God. In this look, Jesus demonstrates his that sort of sovereignty. He's prophesied about this event. It's a prophetic look. He told Peter exactly what would happen. He would see it play out. He would, his, his look, his sight would, would, would guide all of those events so that he could look upon Peter showcasing Peter. This is what I knew. This is what I knew. This is what I already saw. Whenever I told you, I've prayed for you that your faith would stand, that your faith would not fail. This is it. This is the care that I had, the knowledge that I had. I knew you. I know you when you are a sinner, when you were an enemy. And this is a loving look. He sees our sin. He tests our hearts. He demonstrates His sovereignty. And He offers us grace. You know, as Jesus looks at Peter, and we know the very next communication, they will have no other communication. Peter flees, weeping miserably. He will not talk to Christ again until he asks Him, Peter, do you love me? Jesus has already been there. He's already looked upon Peter in this moment and said, Peter, I love you. You're mine. I've prayed for you. Your faith will not fail. There's a way in which he sustains us. If you can't see that Peter's faith has failed, that his faith was not a work in and of itself but that it was something of a relationship that needed Christ to survive. That's the faith that we see. And I, and I want to turn to Psalm 51. I want you to see what I'm talking about in this nature of, of Christ and, and, and God and His pervasive knowledge and His oversight in our lives. I'm not going to read all of it. This psalm is written after David's great sin with Bathsheba. But he acknowledges his sin, my sin against you alone. Purge me with hyssop. He literally tells God in verse 10, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me Now listen to this. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. You see, there's something interesting that we need to understand in this relationship the way in which we receive this grace of God. Now I want you to look at what Peter did. Peter sinned terribly. He denied the Lord and he wept and he ran out. When Adam and Eve sinned, they realized their sin, they covered themselves and they hid themselves from God. They left and they fleed God's presence. And yet we see a right response. David says, he even says in verse 9 that I didn't read, hide thy face from my sins, blot out mine iniquities. But he doesn't mean that he's going to hide his sins from God. He literally says, don't take your presence from me. In his sin, in his low point, he draws himself into the look of God. This look from Christ is exponentially important in the life of Peter. It is the point to which they would return in that conversation after Jesus' resurrection. So we've got to realize... The Lord looks upon us. And in this, as we sort of evaluate this event or all of these, uh, these things that we've been talking about, we see how necessary it is that we follow His Word and that we weep for sin. We follow his word. This is that foundation. We already talked about this, this foundation, this testimony of the apostles and things, but following this word, every word of this will be fulfilled. Every prophecy will be fulfilled. That is true of Peter denying Christ, but it's true of everything else. If it is true that Peter would go on and deny Christ three times, then it is true that Jesus would become sin and die for sinners who put their faith in Him. If it's true that that prophecy would be fulfilled, and it's true that the prophecy would be fulfilled, that He would be raised again. That He would perform marvelous works through His church, through His people. If that's true, then all the rest of this prophecy is true. It is true that Christ will come again. And it's true that he'll bring many sons to glory. You know, we don't, this departure from the word is where all of that fails. We must adhere to this word. We've got to understand. Peter, I think, was at a point of denial. He denied the prophecy of Christ the way he denied Christ. And so we must rest in this word of God that is Christ Jesus. And ultimately we see that reaction. Peter remembered. He saw the Lord, the Lord saw him and his words were brought immediately to his memory before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Words that undoubtedly ring in his ears for the next three days. And he went out and he wept bitterly. This is what sin does sin always brings sorrow. And it is a sad thing when we see all of these churches. I'm not even worried about the world but we see all of these churches They begin to put distance between them and Christ. They begin to put distance between Christ and His or between themselves and Christ's suffering. It is a sad thing because we know their end. And they will crumble. Maybe there's some here who already know this. Maybe you nod your head and realize and think and remember your own sin in the way that whether maybe you tried to hold that outside the door or to keep it secret... Maybe you're still keeping it secret. Maybe there's some way in which you're, you've put yourself at a distance from Christ. You've refused to allow Him that transforming work in your life. Or you've refused that ministry that He's called you to or whatever it may be. And maybe you think, you know, it's not of anything. I can do that later or that's my own business. You can keep that quiet. No one else here will know. But you've known the sorrow that that will cause. It doesn't matter how much you hide it. Sin destroys. It destroys families. It destroys people. It destroys lives. It destroys uh, careers. It destroys all kinds of things. And so sin brings sorrow in that way. But brothers and sisters for those of us who are pursuing Christ with all that we have, if we've come to a point where we say, I I am, we have the Spirit. We have found this boldness of testimony in the Lord. We still have sorrow over our sins, certainly our own sin, but it breaks our hearts to see those around us in wallowing in their sins. who you can give good counsel, but you know they refuse to receive it. They don't have the spirit. They don't have the help. They're, they're, they're trying on their own like Peter. Lord, I'll go with you even to death. And look at what happened to him apart from, Christ, from God's spirit. They can't do it. And so we weep for sin. And brother and sister, I want to remind you too that there is only one body of Christ. And so, whenever you sin, it affects me. When the person sitting on the opposite side of the church sins, it affects you over here. What do you think happens whenever I sin? Does that affect you? Church, I've been there where the pastor falls to sexual sin. I've seen what that does to a church. It affects us. There is only one body. Quit holding your nose in the air over this matter and weep for the sin of your brothers and sisters. The only way any of this is fulfilled is that we look to Christ. Because you'll feel that penetrating look. You'll feel that weight of that look in the depths, in the hollows of your wicked heart. But you've got to let it go. You've got to let it go deeper and deeper and be more pervasive and transforming until you understand the grace that He offers. It's the same look. It is the same Christ. And so we see all of this sin, and the reality is, is we're leading up to the cross. We're leading to the ultimate low point, which is the ultimate high point of all of history. It's the point that strains the way for the resurrection. And so as Christians, we take heart. I think the point of this message is to stand firm in the faith, attach yourself to Christ, trust in His Word, and weep over sin. All of this is in Christ Jesus. That's what the cross is about, that's what the resurrection is about. So I pray especially as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table this morning. That you search the look of Christ in your life. That you allow God to look because He already sees it. He already sees it. Quit playing the fool and come inside and lay hold of Christ. If you're not there, if you still want to walk out of here and you want to hide your sin, you know what? That's on you. That's on you. But if you feel any conviction at all, that's the spirit. This is God. This is the look of Christ. He changes things. He helps in all of these. He offers grace for he knew you while you were yet enemies. He went to the cross. I pray that you consider this as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. That you consider this for your life, for your own salvation. That you consider this, if you're a Christian, you consider this for the ways that your hidden sin or that sin that remains, the way that it is harming all of us here. And let us have, let us... Let Christ have His way in us. Heavenly Father, we come to You. And Lord, we thank You for the way You've been leading us through Your Word. This is a day in which we especially celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet we realize this is our daily ministry. This is what we do each week. Lord, as we learn to live resurrected lives, lives in the Spirit, born again, new creations as we learn already to live this way in Christ Jesus as we look forward to the day of our physical resurrection. Lord, it begins here with a piercing look from our Savior. Lord, as sure as you live, you can look into the hearts of everyone here today. And so God, I pray that you remove this sin. Lord, that you take it from us, that we truly mourn it. And Lord, that your spirit be manifest in us that we might not deny you, that we might not waver, that we might not follow from a distance, but that we come to your side. Lord, that you might count us worthy to suffer with you as you bring us to glory. We ask this in the name of Christ Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in discipleship, we grow in relationships, we grow in Jesus Christ. Subscribe so you don't miss a single Sunday.